Every week we go to the scriptures uh, because it's there that the person and work of Jesus is most clearly revealed. And so our sermon this week is going to be from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. First, pray with me. Lord, we ask that you uh, just reveal to us this morning more of who you are, of your work uh, done through Jesus for us. I pray that you would remove any distractions that might be uh, averting our attention from you. Uh, and just allow us to, to dial in, to really listen, to hear, to open our hearts uh, to your word preached this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now hear from the word of the Lord, First uh, John chapter 4, 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, I, I know that a moment ago we appropriately took a good amount of time uh, to celebrate, uh, honor Michael and Caitlin. Uh, uh, with that said, I will do my best to keep it tight today. As you said, we're in a series in the book of First John. First uh, John written uh, to a church or churches uh, because there was a group who had left the church over doctrinal issues and they were trying to pull people away. Um, the, the issues were specifically around what they believed uh, about Christ, about who Jesus was and was not. And today, uh, in our text, we hit uh, an, an, uh, an often underemphasized aspect of Jesus. Uh, it's often underemphasized because uh, it's hard to see sort of direct correlations to, uh, you know, real world, real life implications. Speaking for myself, uh, it was something that uh, I was easy to believe, uh, knew it was important, but, but not until a few years ago, what I've said, I, I really began to grasp the just sort of uh, magnitude of its importance. Uh, and this doctrine, this understanding of Christ, I, I think is the key to unlocking the passage uh, that we're looking at. What is that doctrine of Christ? Uh, let's get into the text and find out. Verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets, a false prophet being someone who uh, claims to speak for God, but is actually speaking by demonic influence, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Okay, this is where he opens up. Test the spirits, 
because there are false prophets, many of them, people who claim to speak on behalf of God, but they are not speaking on behalf of God. They are being guided by hidden spiritual forces. And he opens with the word beloved. Beloved. It's one of John's favorite terms, but he's strategic in uh, where he uses it. So why start this section with the word beloved? Um, every commentator I could find uh, agreed that in the, in, the, in the back of John's mind, the, what he was drawing on when he wrote this passage was Deuteronomy 13. Uh, it, it says this, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So back in Deuteronomy, the, the passage that John is drawing on as he writes this, uh, it says that there are many false prophets um, and that God is testing you not to know what you believe. Not testing to see what you believe, but testing to see what you love. The test is over what you love. If John is drawing on Deuteronomy, it's as if John is opening with the word beloved to say this, beloved, beloved, you are the beloved of God. Use your mind, test what is true, because there are hidden spiritual forces in the world and not every message claiming to be from God is. So use your mind so that your heart doesn't get led astray, so that your loves don't get reoriented. Why is this so important? Because we are holistic people. You, me, we are holistic. We are body, mind, heart, and soul. And most, most compelling arguments don't play on the mind. Most things that we find compelling, they play on the heart. They play on our emotions. They play on our loves. If I could try to pull this forward and give a modern cultural example, and I, in, in giving this il illustration, this example, I, uh, I, I wish to offend no one. I'm not trying to offend anyone. But a few years ago, uh, the phrase, love is love, became popular, became mainstream. Underneath love is love is the idea that all love is essentially the same. This is an emotional argument that's not true. It's why the ancients had multiple words for love. They had eros for erotic love. They had philia, right? Philia delphia, brotherly love. They had agape, covenantal love, right? Not all love is the same. I love Alma and I love my kids. You knew that was getting dropped in. It's Sunday. I, I love you and I love my wife. And by both of those, I mean something different. John is saying, when you encounter this, use your mind, test it, test it, don't just accept it. Why am I using an example like that to try to illustrate a modern application of this? Is it because I'm trying to be culturally combative? No, no. It's because I'm trying to show you that if you don't test, if you uncritically accept something cultural as true, 
you run the risk of uncritically abandoning something biblical that's true. This is true for us, and it was true for those that John was writing to. And so now, now he's going to take us to what they were at, at risk of abandoning if they listened to, if they were persuaded by these people claiming to speak on behalf of God. Verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, those who deny Christ, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So here's how you know. Here, here's the test. Do they confess Jesus? But not just do they confess Jesus generically. Do they confess that he has come in the flesh? And here is the often underemphasized understanding of who Jesus is, that he wasn't just God, but he was fully human that he was fully human. And the reason that John has this in here is that there was a popular teaching in the day that Jesus only appeared to be human. That, that what happened was the, that divinity came and took up residence inside a man's body, but, but he wasn't actually fully human. And the reason for this is they, be, they believed that the uh, material world was evil. That the material world, the physical world, it was evil. Um, the body was therefore evil, and the goal of spirituality is to escape the material world, to get out of and to escape the uh, evil world. And so if Jesus could be divine, then he certainly can't be human as well because those two can't commingle. Why is this so important for John? Well, why is this the test that he gives? Right? So there, there have been places where he's um, emphasized that Jesus was the Christ, and now, here, he emphasizes that he came in the flesh. Why is this so important for John? Well, the question that we have to answer, uh, ask to answer that one is, what do you lose? Right? By, by this, what do you lose if you don't believe that Jesus was God who was truly, fully human? And here's the answer to that question. Essentially, you, you lose everything. You lose the point of the cross. You lose the point of the resurrection and you lose God's vision for the world. On the cross, the judgment and justice of the Father was poured out on his Son, and the blood that was spilled was the blood of the second person of the Godhead, God the Son. It was God the Son, fully God, fully man, reconciling you to the Father with the blood of the second person of the Godhead. And if Jesus was not fully man, and that wasn't the blood of God the Son shed for you, then essentially his blood is no different than that of bulls and goats. It does not have the power to actually redeem and to reconcile. And then you lose the point of the resurrection. You see, Jesus didn't die and then be resurrected in order to escape the material world. In his resurrection, in his human body, in his resurrected human body, you see that he died to redeem it, to restore it, to make it new. He died to heal it, not to get away from it, not to escape it. Which takes us to God's vision for the world, that God's vision for the world, the physical and the material world, it's not a vision of a disintegrating, going away, crumbling world. It's a vision of a new heavens and a new earth. New, not different, 
new in the way that you have been made new in Christ. That when you, when you were united to Christ, when you believed, you were made new. You didn't become a different person. You became a redeemed version of yourself. A new heavens, a new earth, a transformed world where death and poverty and disease and suffering are gone and are no more, where chaos and disorder give way to harmony and beauty. When you lose sight, when you lose sight of this, when you lose sight of God's vision for the world, if you lose this, you lose sight of your role in the world, our role in the world. Then Jeremiah 29, um, to Israel, Israel um, in exile in Babylon, here's what I want you to do while you're in Babylon. Among the people who took you into exile, I want you to work for their shalom. Shalom is this complete and total flourishing, economic, emotional, spiritual, physical. I want you, you my people who have been taken into exile, I want you to give your life away for the shalom of others. I want you to work for their shalom. Do you know how we partner with organizations that serve refugees, that serve men battling addiction and kids in foster care? It's because the physical world matters. Do you, do you know why, why the arts matter? Do you know why the, the, it's not just justice and mercy that matters, as important as that is? Do you, do you know why for 2,000 years Christians have valued the arts? Do you, it, it's because they bring beauty out of chaos. They take the disorder and the chaos of the world and they, mature, and they bring it together in a way that brings beauty out of chaos. That The arts have an ability to give us a vision for God's vision of the world. Genesis 1 and 2, God created a good and beautiful garden. said, expand that beauty into the untamed world, out into the chaos Sin enters the world, man's put outside of the garden, placed out into the chaos. And the arts have the ability to give us a vision of what life in the garden was like and what life will be like in the global garden that is to come. That's why they matter. That's why Makato Fujiyamara said God was the original artist. It's because the physical world matters is why nursing is such a noble profession to bring healing out of brokenness. It's why cleaning houses is a noble profession, bringing order out of disorder. It's why waiting tables at a restaurant is a noble profession. You are bringing food for the human body. These are not the only professions that matter. That is the disclaimer for don't email me. But often we ascribe nobility to, uh, based on um, salary, and that is not right. That is not Christian. And to do so misses the theological point of work in the good material world. The physical world matters. The single greatest proof we have is that Jesus came in the flesh as a human. Not, not like a human, but as a human, and he died and was resurrected not to escape it, but to heal it. And John is saying that if you don't test what you are hearing, if you uncritically accept that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, you lose everything. You lose the cross, you lose the resurrection, and you lose God's vision for the world. One of the things I find so beautiful and brilliant about the letter of First John is that he attacks both sides. 
Right, so earlier in the letter, he, he addressed the deity of Jesus. Here, the humanity of Jesus. And John treats them like two wings on a plane. One falls off, it crashes. One falls off, it crashes. So now, let's keep reading because John is going to apply this doctrine to us. Verse 4. Little children, you are from God and, overcome, and have overcome them them being the people who left the church who are pulling you away. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. He who is in you, this is the Spirit of God, greater than he who is in the world. That's Satan, hidden spiritual forces. It's false prophets, people claiming to speak for God have shown up, but they're not speaking for God. They're speaking um, as they are led by Satan, demonic forces. And I don't have uh, time today to try to get into the um, proof that we all believe in this, but we do. It, it, it's why I was about to go down that rabbit hole. I told you I'd keep it tight this morning. They're teaching that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. And in that context, John uses um, what I really found to be some unexpected language. Some unexpected language that you wouldn't, I, I don't think you would naturally expect. If you're just reading through this and you were to stop at verse 3, you hit the letter and it, he, he puts a bow on that and now he's going to move on to apply it. I don't think that you would expect the word world to be used four times. I don't think you would expect the overcome to be used or the he who is greater in you, right? So four times he uses the word world right here. When something is repeated, it's to be emphasized. Greater, that's the word for size and strength, larger, it's megas. It's, it's the he who is in you is mega compared to he who is in the world. And then overcome, it's the word uh, vikayo. Any guess what English word we get from that one? Victory. It's the victory. N.T., not N.T., right, sorry, D.A. Carson on this. The, the word of overcome in particular, victory. The short letter has the verb to overcome six times, which is more than any other New Testament uh, book other than Revelation, also written by John. The note of victory is unusually prominent. Here, the verb is in the perfect tense, which shows that the victory is more than a passing phase. It is decisive and continuing. So the verbal tense means it's happened and it is happening. The effects are ongoing. Why the unusual, unexpected note of victory in a verse like this? Why would D.A. Carson say, why would he say unusually prominent? Why something so unusual? And the answer is because of what happens when the Spirit of God comes into your life. Because of what happens when the Spirit of God comes into your life. Last week, Paul, one of our uh, pastors, uh, was preaching and he talked about the new birth. And I, what I want to do is I want to build on that because I think it's applicable. See, in Titus 3, another book in the New Testament, uh, it says that we have been saved by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The word regeneration, it, it's a Greek word, palingenesia. Palingenesia. 
See, the, the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, they, they believed that the, that the world was just sort of getting worse and getting worse and cyclical spiraling until it all of a sudden had to be purged and had to be regenerated and reset. And they had a technical term for that. It was palingenesia. Palingenesia. And then in Matthew 19, Jesus is talking about the new world, the world to come, the day when he will sit on his glorious throne. And he calls the new world, the renewal of all things, he calls that new world the palingenesia. So when Paul in Titus says that we've been saved through the washing of palingenesia, what he is saying is that when the Spirit comes into your life, here's what he does. He brings the future into your present. He brings the palingenesia into your life today. He brings the healing and the renewal of all things into your life today. And so why can John say you have overcome that which is from the world? Why can he say what is in you is greater than that which is in the world? It's because the Spirit brought the future renewed world, the palingenesia, into your life today. And here's what this means for you. Have you ever read the description of the new heavens and new earth? It's the end of the book of Revelation, the very end of the story. If you haven't read it, do that this afternoon. It's beautiful. And I don't mean like poetically beautiful. I mean it's like the description of the world to come is beautiful. It's stunning. You know what that means? That means that God doesn't come into your life simply to fix you. It comes into your life to make you beautiful. To come in and renew you and to make you beautiful. He, he doesn't view you as a broken appliance that needs some rewiring. He sees you more like a piece of art, a beautiful and majestic piece of art that is being painted. He doesn't come into your life just to fix you. He comes in to make you beautiful. And listen, I... I, I, I know um, we look at our own lives, we have a moment of honest self-awareness, and we don't feel beautiful. Most of what we see is brokenness in our own hearts. We see a lot of rugged pain in one another, and that doesn't change what is true, that God is not looking at the brokenness and the chaos and disorder that still exists in your life He's not looking at that and saying, you're an appliance to me, something I need to just rewire and fix. You are a majestic piece of art to the Lord that he is making beautiful. See, why, why can Paul say, or John, sorry, with such confidence that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world? It's because the Spirit of God bringing the power of Christ into your life, the resurrected, fully God, fully man, fully human, who lived and died not to escape the world, but to make it new, has brought into your life. And the power of Christ in you is greater, greater than that addiction or that sin or that broken marriage or that you fill in your own blank, greater than that anxiety and fear, greater than that depression, greater than that loneliness, the power of God in you through the Spirit of God bringing the resurrected Christ into your life is more powerful than whatever you are battling today. I agree with you. It's true. It's true. 
And I think it would do us some good, Sojourn, to commit to no longer underestimating the power of Christ, the Spirit of God, to heal and restore and bring beauty out of the chaos of our own lives. I think we far too underestimate the power of what God is doing in our life, what he can do in our life, the kind of healing and restoration and beauty that he could bring. I think it's time for us to collectively as a community commit to never underestimating that again. When the Spirit comes into your life, it brings God's vision for tomorrow into your today. Today. Right now. But John says, don't believe everything you hear. They speak from the world. And there are compelling messages out there that are from the world, so test them. Find out what is true, because who you listen to matters. That's the point of verse 6, and so let's land this plane. Verse 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here's what John is saying. Those who know God listen to us. Who is the us? That's those who wrote the scriptures. His point being, the source of your information matters. The source of your information matters. And we all know this. We all know this, right? We, 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 we know some of us in here, we watch Fox. Some watch CNN. Some of us get our news only from Instagram and Twitter. Some of us in here, I mean, we live and die with Space City weather. I mean, I'm telling you, some of y'all, and I, I, there's one of you in particular that I was hoping, I don't see him, I was going to call him out. I won't call Brett out, though, today. Um, I mean, some of you, like if Space City said, hey, it's going to be freezing tomorrow, 32 degrees is a high, you're getting your winter gear out. The source of information matters. So what's yours? What's yours? I mean, let's move beyond politics and the weather. When it comes to what you believe about God, what is your source? What is your source? Where do you go? What is the point of information, the source of your information? Where do you go? Here's what I think it has to be. Not just the Bible. If I stop there, it's very controversial. But the Bible understood in the context of community. Notice John said, we. We. It's the Bible in the context of community because understanding what is true and what is not is a communal project. So, why don't we study the Bible more and do it together more? Well, rather than trying to motivate, I want to do some problem solution. One of the things that we hear often uh, is that one of the reasons that we, uh, that we hear is that the Bible is just really, really difficult to understand. And so I don't read it more because I'm intimidated by it because I don't really know how to read it. And so if I read it, I get confused. And, and listen, the Bible is hard to understand. Did you know that the Bible says the Bible is hard to understand? Did you know that? It's true. It's hard to understand. So I have a solution. This fall, Hannah Huguenard, one of our members, uh, is teaching a class on how to read the Bible. It's a six-week class. It'll be on Monday nights. Sign up. Take the class. 
And then take what you learn back to your parish, back to your community, because, because listen, you will, you, and this is why it's so important that it's not just Bible, but it's Bible interpreted, understood in the context of community. You will turn to others to help you understand the Bible. You absolutely will. Every single one of us are designed by God to be communal creatures. We will turn to other people somewhere to help us understand what the Bible has to say, to help us understand who God is. It will either, it will either be the cultural moment that you live in, the contextual cultural moment that you live in, or it will be the countercultural community, the church. But you will turn to get help from somewhere on how to understand the Bible. If you are uh, not a Christian online here with us, I want to give you an invitation. Come and read the Bible with us. Come and read the Bible with us. I dare you. I dare you. Don't be surprised if when you do, all that I'm talking about today begins to make some sense. So let's not be just a people who value the Bible, but a people of the Bible. Not just people who value the Word, but are saturated in the Word. Because that which is in you is stronger than that which is in the world. And the best way to never lose sight of that is to never lose sight of the Scriptures. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the men, the women, the children that are gathered with us today. Thank you for those who are here in person and those who are uh, at home online. We are thankful for the, the ability to be together virtually or in person right now. Help us to never underestimate the power of what you have done and are doing and will do in our lives again. I mean, some of us, Lord, I feel like we need to repent over that. Like we need to just honestly and genuinely repent over not believing that you actually can heal that desire, that addiction, that you fill in the blank in our life. That you can take the chaos and disorder of our life and bring about beauty. Help us to believe that. Help us to be people more and more drenched in your scriptures. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen, amen.